Day 45 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, today we'll be continuing in Leviticus chapters 5 through 7, reading from the ESV by Crossway translation. But before we begin, if you could please help us out, partner with us by hitting that like button and making sure you're subscribed to the channel. You've got that notification bell on so that you know when the videos come out. And as always, if you have any questions, please make sure to check out the notes below because there is a wealth of information there. And a heads up, because I think some people don't realize this, I actually do put the notes of my Bible in a link in the description box. So you don't have to wait for the newsletter. You don't have to go to our website and wait for that to be uploaded because again, Holly is also working in real time, the same as I am. And so she has to wait until I upload before she can upload. And she's several hours later than me. And so usually when I upload, it's during her mommy and dinner time. So just keep that in mind if you are waiting for something. Once this video pops up, everything is available to you. So let's go ahead and prepare our hearts and jump into the word. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. It is by far my most favorite time of the day where we get to be in fellowship with you, to commune with you, to learn more about you and to grow our relationship. We thank you, Lord, that you have chosen us for such a time as this to be alive on this very day. You knew exactly what you were doing before you even created us in our mother's womb. You had already written our story. And so I just pray, Lord, that we will fall in line with that and that we will fulfill the very things that you intended from the beginning. Thank you so much, Lord, for loving us enough to be able to send Jesus to die for our sins, to be the perfect sacrifice. I pray that you help us keep our eyes on you today so that as we are reading some difficult passages, we will have a better understanding of your heart behind it. I pray that we will see your holiness for what it is and that we will understand our place still today whenever we are approaching you. So we do humble ourselves before you now, Lord, and I just pray that our eyes and our ears and hearts will be open to be able to hear you, to see you, and to experience you today. Thank you so much for your presence that is available to us. We love you so much, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we will continue here with the instructions of the trespass offering. If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen it or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. All right, so this would fall under bearing false witness. Now, it's easy for us to see that lying is wrong. I mean, everybody knows that, but what about when you know something that is being lied about? This is what has been at times called sinful silence, where you may have the opportunity to make known the truth, but you don't. Because remember, not doing something that you know you're supposed to do is in fact sin. And we're not talking about gossiping or sharing everyone's business to people who don't need to know. This is speaking the truth to the ones who are directly affected or when under oath. So in a sense, we've all kind of taken an oath whenever we told Jesus, we want to live our lives for you. Because he then told us, okay, then go tell the world about me. So we have a truth that needs to be told to a world that is being lied to by the father of lies. So heart check, are you telling people about the truth or are you sitting in sinful silence? Well, in that a way to just kick off this reading today, verse two, or 
If anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of unclean livestock or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him and he has become unclean and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort of uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these. When he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. Okay, there's a whole lot going on in these five verses. So let's break it down here. First of all, God is starting to make the distinction between clean and unclean. And so we are speaking in general about unclean wild animals, which we will learn the specifics about later on. But this is what would make someone ceremonial unclean. So that's what we're speaking of. So it's not like you're literally dirty if you touch a certain animal. It is spiritual uncleanliness. Now, when you touch a human uncleanness, this would refer to bodily fluids, the waste of a human, or even a dead body. And then he goes on to talk about rash oaths. Well, what is a rash oath? Basically, it's anything that you promise to do in the heat of the moment where you're emotional, like, I won't do it again, I promise. Or even, I promise to do this if you will, because we're so panicked in that moment. But the Bible says to let your yes be yes and your no be no. And there's a reason for that. Because whenever we start to utter these rash oaths, there is an insincerity that comes along with it. If we're needing to add some sort of swearing with it, I swear I'll do it. And then noticing the order here, one has to confess before they can bring their guilt offering. And confession is still a major part of our walk as Christians. And we don't confess because we need to let God know what we've done. I mean, he already knew we were going to sin even before we did it. But confession is actually for us to be able to free ourselves from a guilty conscience and condemnation. You see, when we confess, it helps us to have that right view of sin and its consequences. It helps us to have a right view of God and his holiness and his purity and his justice. And it also helps us to have the right view of ourselves as humble servants before him. So confession isn't just saying, I'm sorry for all my sins. It's actually acknowledging what you have specifically done wrong and sincerely seeking forgiveness. So confession will sometimes be between you and God, but if the sin impacts other people, confession may need to be face-to-face with that person or even in public if it impacts a group or an assembly. And James 1.5 says that we need to confess so that we can begin to heal. You see, if we harbor sin, it can manifest itself physically. And I showed these pictures last year, but I went through a season where I was harboring a sin. I had confessed it to God, but not to the people it was affecting. And I didn't realize it until years later, my mom pointed out to me that I used to have these dark circles under my eyes and my skin looked 10 years older than it really should have. And I was always sick and I didn't know why. But when I finally confessed and I was freed up from that bondage that I was under, those dark circles actually went away. My skin became clearer and I physically got healthier. So heart check. Are you harboring sin in your life? Is there something that you need to specifically confess to? 
So again, it's not going to be the ritual that actually brings the forgiveness or makes the atonement. It's the heart that brings this offering. Same way when we say the salvation prayer, it's not that prayer that saves us. Jesus obviously saves us, but our heart has to be right. It has to be sincere. Whenever we say that prayer, whenever we receive Jesus as our Savior, acknowledging that He paid the price for our sins. And even though our guilt occurs at the time that we actually commit the sin, it's when we realize our guilt. The moment we know that we have sinned, that we must make it right. Verse 7, But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. So again, this would be making a way for those who may not be able to afford these more expensive sacrifices. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but shall never sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. So again, notice the order. The atonement must happen first, and then you can receive the forgiveness. It's kind of like if you want to go to a game, you have to purchase the tickets in order to get through that gate. And so one of those birds would actually be the atonement, the price. And then the second would be the burnt offering, which is expressing that renewed commitment. Verse 11, but if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it and shall put no frankincense on it for it is a sin offering. And if you don't remember the purpose of the oil and the frankincense, these two things would be used in peace offerings, which would be a joyful type of offering in celebration or thanksgiving. It would be given with joy. But here... The fact that it is a sin offering, there's no joy attached to that. It should be more of a somber time. And so that is why you would not bring it with oil and frankincense. And he shall bring it to the priest and the priest shall take a handful of it as its memorial portion and burn this on the altar and the Lord's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Thus, the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any of these things, and he shall be forgiven. And the remainder shall be for the priest as in the grain offering." So again, God makes a way for every single person to be able to come and bring an offering to receive that forgiveness. But in doing so, he's also creating a way for provision for the priests and his families. And we see that through these sacrifices and through these offerings, this is how they're fed. This is how they're making their daily wages. And so we now we continue with the laws for the guilt offering. So the guilt offerings will specifically be surrounding sin regarding the holy things. So things like temple desecration or anything that that defiles any of the holy items. Verse 14, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation, a ram without blemish. So that's an expensive one out of the flock valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. He shall also make a restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy things and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. So not only is he bringing this sacrifice, but he also has to pay back what he has ruined plus 20%. 
So this would be making good on the loss. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins doing any of these things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. And so when he offers this guilt offering, now his guilty conscience would be at rest. Chapter 6. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord, why would it be against the Lord? Well, because typically if someone makes an oath, they are using his name as collateral, deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security, or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all the things that the people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or the lost thing that he found or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. So basically, if you steal, if you rob, if you borrow something and you don't give it back, if you deceitfully get something from somebody else, you need to make it right. You need to pay them back plus 20%. And the restitution would need to be paid on the day of realization, which shows the urgency of making things right before men prior to coming before God. And Jesus commands this in Matthew 5 when he says to go make things right with your brother before you bring your gift to the altar. Or if you have brought a gift to the altar and you realize that someone's got something against you, you need to go make it right and then come back. And this shows how much he cares about our relationships with people. So heart check, is there anyone you need to make things right with so that you can worship without a guilty conscience? Verse six, and he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. So this is a reminder that every sin can be forgiven. And whenever we think of theft, as listed here in these verses, we typically think of criminal acts of theft and robbery. But this section is not just speaking of petty theft. It's also having possession of anything that does not belong to you. So while most of us will steer clear of stealing physical items, we may not be conscious to the fact that we are sometimes trying to steal other people's blessings or favor. We'll want the success that others have, so we'll gossip about them to make them look bad, or we will criticize them to tear them down, or we'll even try to manipulate our way into a position where we can try to hitchhike on their journey. And sadly, when we do this, it will end up costing us more than if we were to just stay in our lane. We will miss out on the blessing intended for us whenever we're trying to catch a ride somewhere else. So heart check. Are you in possession of something that is not yours? Or are you trying to selfishly gain something from someone else by hitchhiking on their journey? So if you do have something, you might want to return it and maybe even add some interest to that. Verse 8, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. So this tells me that this is kind of like a charcoal grill, like it's going to be roasting all night long. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his linen undergarments on his body. Remember, these undergarments speak of modesty. And he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on the other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. So this perpetual fire, remember, it was originally a fire from God. It will symbolize perpetual worship and also the continual need for atonement and reconciliation with God. So this perpetual fire ultimately represents God's continual presence in the sacrificial system. And while we are no longer held to these rituals, most of us are still doing all the things we can to be able to keep our own fire burning because we recognize the need for continual communion and Holy Spirit empowerment. And this is why the enemy will come to try to snuff out your light. He doesn't want the world to see Jesus. He wants them to remain in the dark. So all the more we need to be igniting fires through prayer, through encouragement, or even more so in plain and simple love, which is our greatest fuel. But the degree to which we have enough fuel to be able to offer to others will be the degree to which we are actually fueling up ourselves in personal fellowship with God. So heart check, how's your fuel supply? Are you igniting fires for Christ? Verse 14, and this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord in front of the altar. And one shall take from it a handful of fine flour of the grain offering and its oil and all the frankincense that is on the grain offering and burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the rest of it, Aaron and his son shall eat it. It shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place. So for the holy people in a holy place. In the court of the tent of meeting, they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my food offerings. It is a thing most holy, like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Every male among the children of Aaron may eat of it, as decreed forever throughout your generations from the Lord's food offerings. Whatever touches them shall become holy." which is kind of cool because it's the opposite of what he just told us about unclean items. Whatever you touch that is unclean then becomes unclean itself. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is the offering that Aaron and his son shall offer to the Lord on the day when he is anointed, a tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half in the evening. It shall be made with oil on a griddle. So this offering being brought in the morning and the evening with oil, again, oil representing the Holy Spirit or the empowerment, You shall bring it well mixed in baked pieces like a grain offering and offer it for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The priest from among Aaron's sons who is appointed to succeed him shall offer it to the Lord as decreed forever. The whole of it shall be burned. Every grain offering of a priest shall be wholly burned and it shall not be eaten. Why? Well, because they cannot profit on their own sacrifice. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, this is the law of the sin offering in the place where the burnt offering is killed. Shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord? So that's a new detail here about the sin offering. 
It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten in the court of the tent of meeting. Whatever touches its flesh shall be holy. And when any of its blood is splashed on a garment, you shall wash that on which it was splashed in a holy place. And the earthenware vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken." But if it is boiled in a bronze vessel, that shall be scoured and rinsed in water. So why does the earthenware vessel have to be broken while the bronze vessel can simply just be scoured or rinsed with water? Well, it's because the earthenware vessel was porous and it would therefore need to be broken due to the broth being able to permeate the clay. So in breaking it, that unholiness would no longer be able to continue through that particular vessel. And the Bible says that we are earthen vessels. And whenever there is sin in our lives, it permeates to the deepest part of our souls and it needs to be dealt with. If there isn't a brokenness that occurs whenever we confess or repent, the validity of that repentance may need to be questioned. And a lot of people will, quote, repent only when they get caught. But when we truly repent, we are vowing to never allow that unholiness to work through this vessel any longer. A brokenness has to happen for the Lord to begin to restore us. So heart check, has your vessel been broken? Or are you needing to deal a shattering blow to something in your life? And then the bronze, why did it only need to be cleaned? Well, because bronze is a metal of judgment. It is a metal that is tempered by fire. And so it can simply be cleansed. And this is a symbol of our salvation, you know? The judgment has already been made when Jesus went to the cross, that wrath he took upon himself. So after that brokenness, we only then need to be continually cleansed and washed. Verse 29, every male among the priests may eat of it. It is most holy, but no sin offering shall be eaten from which any blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. It shall be burned up with fire. Chapter seven, we get more details on the trespass offering. And by the way, trespass is different from sin. Sin is missing the mark, whereas trespass would be the unlawful crossing of a boundary. And of course, anytime we cross over that boundary, we must confess as according to chapter five. So this is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy in the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the guilt offering and its blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar and all its fat shall be offered. The fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. So this is very much so like that peace offering where the fat is offered to God because that is the best part of the animal offered to God. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Every male among the priests may eat of it, and it shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The guilt offering is just like the sin offering. There is one law for them. Now the priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. And the priest who offers any man's burnt offering shall have it for himself, the skin of the burnt offering that he has offered. So basically, these priests would rotate in and out because again, this would be their provision and their wages. So the skins would have been part of their payment, whereas the food would be part of their meals. And so making sure that not one priest is getting more than another. They would rotate them in to be able to receive these atonements. And every grain offering baked in the oven and all that is prepared on a pan or a griddle shall belong to the priest who offers it. And every grain offering mixed with oil or dry shall be shared equally among all the sons of Aaron. So this is God's way of being able to say, you know what, if you're going to go into the ministry as your vocation, as your job, you deserve to be paid for it. Verse 11, and this is the law of the sacrifice 
sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for thanksgiving, so this would be a public proclamation of who God is and what he does, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour, well mixed with oil. Now, with the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. Now, if somebody read that and said, that must be a typo, they're supposed to be bringing unleavened bread only because leaven is a sign of sin. Well, what does this represent spiritually? Jesus, being the ultimate peace offering, brought both the Jew and the Gentile together as one church, as the forgiven church. So that would have been the unleavened along with the leavened now coming together as one. And from it, he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. So this would have also been known as a heave offering where it is lifted up and waved before the Lord to acknowledge God as the giver of all gifts. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings, and the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. So this would have been their way of trusting in God's provision that he will bring more tomorrow. You don't need to save it. Just the same way that his mercies are new to us every single day. We don't need to hoard the mercies of today for tomorrow. He's going to give us brand new ones in the morning, a fresh new beginning every single day. And so this is his way of saying, you know what? I want a fresh relationship with you. Your relationship with God today cannot rely on what you did yesterday. I need to write that down. Who knew the Holy Spirit be moving through the sacrifices? Let's go. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice and on the next day, what remains of it shall be eaten. So why can the vow offering and the free will offering be eaten up until the next day? So here God given a little bit of a grace period for these two offerings. The free will offering would have no particular reason that you're bringing it other than I just love you, Jesus, so much that I want to bring more to you. But what remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, aka rotten or spoiled, and he who eats it shall bear his iniquity." Verse 19, flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire. All who are clean may eat flesh, but the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. So this represents the fact that whenever we say that we have fellowship with God, but yet we are walking in darkness, we are actually lying. We do not practice truth. That's what it says in the Bible. So blatant sin will actually hinder your fellowship with God. That's what this is showing us. It doesn't separate us from his love for us, but it will separate us from that fellowship. And if anyone touches an unclean thing, 
whether human uncleanness or an unclean beast or any unclean detestable creature, and then eats some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, that person shall be cut off from his people. This word cut off either meant execution, banishment, or the loss of citizenship privileges. Verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, you shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goat, the fat of an animal that dies of itself and the fat of one that is torn by beasts may be put into any other use. So what would any other uses be? It could be used for fuel, could be used for softening leather, basically anything other than eating it. But on no account shall you eat it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal, of which a food offering may be made to the Lord, shall be cut off from his people. So again, the fat representing both the best part of the animal, but also the stored energy. So we are not to take the best of what belongs to God and use it for our own selfishness. Moreover, you shall eat no blood, whether of fowl or of animal, in any of your dwelling places. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. Why can we not eat the blood? Because again, blood is where life exists, and so all lives belong to God. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offering. So again, that's that personal responsibility. He shall bring the fat with the breast, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings, and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel. So again, forever they will be provided for. This is the portion of Aaron and of his sons from the Lord's food offerings from the day that they were presented to serve as priests of the Lord. The Lord commanded this to be given them by the people of Israel. From the day that he anointed them, it is a perpetual due throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai. On the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Whew, okay, in the end. God has provided specific instructions for these rituals, not because he's trying to be a control freak, but because he wanted to teach them valuable lessons. But sadly, they will eventually become so desensitized to the meaning of these rituals and therefore lose touch with God. And this can happen to us too, where we will come to read the word and we'll read it out of obligation instead of pure hunger for him. Or even our churches will perform rituals and half the congregation doesn't even know why they're doing it. They don't know why they're taking communion. They don't know why they're reciting these prayers or singing these songs. So what can we do? Well, we can either criticize it or we can actually make it better by understanding the why behind it and helping others to understand the purpose. And in doing so, 
our worship will actually go to a whole new level as we see God's holiness in a new way. So we should always strive to be problem solvers. You see a problem, find a solution for it. You see something that's not so good, and instead of just saying, hey, that's not so good, how about you offer a way to make it better? That's the kind of people that we should be. So let's take a look at some of our deep dive questions. What is your view on the nature of sin God's holiness, and the need for confession. What might be considered an unclean thing that we could possibly touch today? How can we protect ourselves from unconscious sin? What does the continual fire represent in our lives today? And how does the idea of spiritual cleanliness translate to our spiritual walk? So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that even though we fall short every single day, you always provide a way for forgiveness and redemption. When we decided to live our lives for you, Jesus, many of us committed to being better in so many ways. And so we just ask you to forgive us where we have failed to keep our word. Forgive us for being silent witnesses. I pray that you will give us the boldness and courage to speak out the truth in the middle of the lie. So many are seeking happiness in this world and are failing to realize that it will never truly be found on this side of heaven without you. So forgive us for watering down the need for confession. I pray that we will have the right view of it today, recognizing how this is our ticket to true freedom from condemnation and guilt. This is a part of your gift that you have given to us by grace. So I pray that you will help us to realize our guilt and specifically, sincerely, and realistically acknowledge our sin and confess it today. We wanna be on your side against ourselves. We want you to expose the dark corners so that we can be full of light. We don't wanna be held down by a guilty conscience. So have your way within us, Holy Spirit. I pray that we will also have a right view of your holiness and the necessity of our humility before you. Because sometimes we can get more caught up in our own authority that we fail to remember the need to be humble first and foremost. And when we get this, we know that is when true repentance will take place as we turn from sin and strive toward you. We know that saying the salvation prayer is not the magic ticket, but a true repentant and faithful heart is. So may we never make it about ritual or religion, but always about relationship with you so that when the day comes where we are standing before you, we will hear you say, I know that one. Thank you, Lord, for making a way for us to be forgiven and reconciled back to the Father. I pray that we never take this for granted. Each day when new mercies are available, I pray that we will never waste the opportunity to have a fresh start, a fresh conversation, a new day of fellowship. May our relationship with you never stale or be treated as a leftover. May everything we bring to you as an offering to be done with humility, purity, and with sincere gratitude. Show us, Lord, where we can offer our own time to serve, where our talent can be useful, or even where our monetary giving should be given so that we can have a hand in provision for those who minister to us. We thank you, Lord, for our spiritual leaders who bear the heavy burden and responsibility to lead your people. What a gift they are to us. I pray that you will fill them afresh today. Protect them from the destructive plans of the enemy. Bless their families, Lord, and may there be a hedge of protection around them. I pray they will know how much they are loved and appreciated for all that they pour into our lives. May we never take it for granted or expect more from them than we are even willing to give of ourselves. 
Thank you for caring enough for us to give us detailed instructions on how to live today. We're so grateful for it. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because He loves us, and He wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive Him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing, and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die. But I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer. And I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're going to say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.